Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Well, hour four of hosting the radio begins. But this is the one, the only Joey Clark Radio Hour. Thank you to Southern Wood. Wood. I almost mixed Southern Wood in 84. He has too many names. You need to condense the names. Yeah, I'll just start calling him Clay. Clay, but Troy is now joining me. How are you doing tonight, man? All right. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little sore. Yeah. Been working out hard at uh, Express Fitness 24/7. Working out with Alex. He's one of the owners down there, and he's been giving me some personal training, and and we've been hitting it hard. Been kicking your butt. Yeah, I asked for it though. Like I'm like, hey, I'm scared of squats and deadlifts. I haven't done those since high school, so let's do those first. It's kind of a new motto that kind of causes me a little bit of pain and anxiety. Like, run towards it. Yeah. And so a simple way of, like, picking up a weight and putting it back down, and it's like, okay, I could do that. I mean, it's more of a mental struggle than it is physical. Like, there haven't been too many points. I mean, there's a point when you're doing a bench press and you're on rep 10, and you can't do it. Like, you just can't do it. But it's more the mental struggle of getting organized, getting there in the morning, doing the workout, and I feel better for it afterwards. Yeah. So my, uh, let's just say my lower back and my butt, they're screaming right now. Really? Oh, yeah. Did a heavy workout. But if you're interested, folks, in Express Fitness 24-7, highly recommend them. The number one reason I went there is because of the 24-7. Like, sometimes I can't make our personal training sessions. I got to go earlier or I got to go later that night. But I can get in there, have a workout in mind, get it done whenever I like. I like that. That's nice. Yeah, I do like that. And they have... Uh, no one for equipment. Brand new state-of-the-art equipment, whether cardio machines or free weights, so dumbbells, all sorts of different plates, and you know, power racks so you can do your squat and your deadlift, and even guards, so if you don't have somebody to spot you, you can do it by yourself. Um, it's great. Great facility. And uh, they don't have a, a long-term contract. You remember when I got hooked into one of those in yeah. college? I was not a happy camper. I realized, oh, man, they just... They hoodwinked me. They really worked your lower back. Yeah, something like that. Maybe a little lower than the lower back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> kind of like Ernie Sanders in the uh, last Democratic primary. They bent them over. It was rough. He wasn't ready. That was me in college. But this time around, I love that there's no long-term contract requirements. You can do it month by month. Very reasonable. And if you feel like a fish out of water, they will give you a few f- free personal training sessions. So, depending on your goals and where you are in life, they'll, they'll help you out and give you some direction and you can hit the water swimming. So, it, check them out. The best way to probably do that is ExpressFitness24, the number 24.com, ExpressFitness24.com. All sorts of locations in the River Region. I'm going to the one because it's near home on uh, Zelda Road at the Hillwood Festival Shopping Center. Located, uh, a facility right above Firehouse Subs and then right across the parking lot. It's a split facility. 
I love it, and I'm enjoying doing that, adding that to the DDP yoga. That's why I'm feeling so good these days. It's probably why that woman of a certain age at that wedding I went to, I was sitting there talking to, of all people, Southern Wood, Clay, at the wedding. And this woman who probably looked in her 40s walked up, and she was kind of loitering behind me as I'm trying to have a conversation with a newfound friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes, both Clay and I turn around, she goes, what's up, buns? And then walked off, and of course, Clay looks at me and goes, buns? <laughs> so I guess the squats and deadlifts are paying off in some way. Wow, buns. Because I know you used to get all those compliments. People would come up and pinch in your backside. Yeah. Unsolicited. Well, it's, I mean, not anymore. It used to be cute. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> now it's just, it, it's, I, it's out there. I have to admit, I was envious back then. So it's like, I'm going to, instead of being envious, I'll just go work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, can't just expect society to fit me. No, although, I mean, maybe eventually you upgrade from Buns to like Shakira. Ooh, I think I'd be way too far gone. It's like, Joey, did you get butt implants? <laughs> like, just slow down on the squats and the deadlifts, sir. Like, you don't need to do that too much. Like, you're a dude. You don't need a Kardashian booty. Hips don't lie, though. It's true. And Shakira's hips definitely don't lie. Mm-mm. She is fantastic. Yeah. Although her husband don't like him. I don't even know who her husband is. I try not to think she has a husband. He's a football player for... Uh, FC Barcelona. Oh, oh a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Football over there, of course. Yeah. Anyway, so we're coming towards movie season. Yeah. A lot of big movies dropping. Mm-hmm. This Friday, Captain Marvel comes out. That's this Friday? Yeah, March the 8th. Nice. So we definitely got to go see that this we weekend. We want to see that. At, at some point. I also want to go see it. I'll probably watch it at home. The Fighting With My Family movie. Yeah. It's the one The Rock produced. It's about uh, Paige and her career becoming a professional wrestler. First, I was a little skeptical because a lot of WWE films suck. Um, but apparently it's gotten really good reviews. So I'll probably watch that at some point. It's supposed to be pretty funny, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the wrestling world's so ripe. The more I learn and listen to podcasts, there are so many stories. It literally is a traveling circus. Like, this whole thing comes out of carny folk. And so there's all sorts of crazy stories, especially when the business wasn't as uh, professional as it is now yeah. and how they would enforce certain locker room rules. Like, I just heard a story today where uh, Jerry the King Lawler was hired by WWE to come in in the early 90s. And he had run the Memphis Territory for years and been very successful. That's where he got the name The King. Like, he was the King of Memphis, kind of a playoff of Elvis. And even if you weren't a wrestling fan, if you grew up in Memphis, you knew who The King Jerry Lawler was. And so he not only was a big popular star then, had a very successful radio show where he was apparently just, like, downgrade and belittle his guests. Uh, he also ran the territory. He was like the owner. So, I mean, if you wanted to go, one guy was over one night, you're down the next night, who's making money, who's not making money, he was making a lot of those decisions. So as wrestlers came through there, he made a few enemies. And so he gets hired by WWE a few years after, in the uh, early 90s. And he, he really did have a gimmick of wearing a crown. And he'd carry the crown around in, like, a grocery bag, nondescript kind of paper bag. And 
one of the first nights he was there at WWE, somebody, because he had done them wrong in their past or something like that, took a crap in his crown. <laughs> and it's going all around the locker room. Oh, wait till Jerry opens up his bag. Oh, oh. Wow. And apparently he played it off like a champ, though, and didn't make too much of a fuss about it. He took a no-sell, as they say in the wrestling business. He didn't sell it at all. I think Vince McMahon got words like, GD, guys, we can't have you crapping at crowns. <laughs> yeah, there are so many stories. So fighting with my family is probably good. She grew up in a wrestling family. But Captain Marvel... I've been looking forward to this. Yeah. Ever since the end of Avengers Infinity War, when he there pulls was out a, the beeper. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Nick Fury pulls out the beeper, but it looks like a 90s. It's a beeper. Who's a beeper in 2018, 2019? Emergency room doctors. I suppose. All of them. All of them have beepers still. Yes, because in hospitals, a lot of the times, uh, the band that cell phones are on. Uh, the the frequency can't get to the cell phone, mm-hmm. but it can to a beeper, mm-hmm. and that is why they use beepers. Well, and it's a pretty clear emergency call and look down. Okay, yeah. cool. Paging to the OR or something like that. So Avengers Infinity War is like half the population, and all of the universe is disintegrating into nothing. Yeah. And before Nick Fury disintegrates into nothingness, he's able to send off a emergency message. And it's the logo of Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. And Captain Marvel is being portrayed by Brie Larson. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been looking forward to this movie. And I'm still looking forward to this movie. I want to make that clear. I'm going to go in and probably enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah. But some people, and I'm not as big of a comic book nerd as some people I know. Yeah. But uh, one guy I know, who I've had on the show, invited me to that conference last year, Sean Malone. He's, he's still going to go see the movie, but he's a little annoyed with, say, some of the PR tactics Brie Larson herself and some people at Marvel are using. And I guess the idea goes something like this. If you give our movie a bad review, it's because you aren't hip with, you know, feminism. And the what this movie portrays is women's power and roles in the world. I think Larson had a quote to something about, like, I could care less what a 40-year-old white guy has to say about the movie. It wasn't made for you. She didn't say that about Captain Marvel. About a wrinkle in time. She said that about a wrinkle in time. Yeah. That's pretty important. Yeah. It's a kid's movie. Yeah. She was probably admonished by the great Disney machine, though. Right. Well, okay. I think it's... I think because it's 2019, said Brie Larson in a recent interview. Okay. And what 2019 is about, really, is intersectional feminism. All right. No, but... Yeah, I was about to say, is it? Okay. Well, it's 1917, and really what 1917 is all about is Stalinism, right? Yeah. (laughs) I guess it can be. There's just no question that we would have to show what it means to be all different kinds of women, that we don't just have one type. It became a great opportunity, talking about Captain Marvel, even with things like the love story. We wanted to make that big love, that lost love, that love that's found again be with Carol's best friend. To me, what's that's a part of what the meditation of this movie is. It's female strength. But what is female strength? What are the different ways that it can look? Um, that message I'm fine with. That's cool. Yeah, celebrate it. A lot of different ways for people to be strong and women to be strong. And you don't want to typecast it. I'm going to be critical for a second okay. of her comment. It, it seems naive. 
the yeah. whole 2019 is the year of intersectional feminism. Mm-hmm. Perhaps in the circles that she travels in, I have never had a discussion about intersectional feminism, at least not in 2019. I mean, I think we talked on this show a little bit about intersectionality right, and the different waves of feminism, but we certainly, you and I haven't dubbed 2019 the year of intersectional feminism. No. So, I think it's it's naive to suggest that the whole world is somehow hip to intersectional feminism. I think the majority of the world, when confronted with the idea of intersectionality, would probably agree with it up until they heard the people that champion it and right. they would disagree with it. Yes, and like when I hear the broad strokes of this stuff, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Exactly, and then I hear the specifics. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> we need, we need to like, in particular, where I come down is like, we need, we need the government to control what? Yeah, like for the sake of wages, and it's so it's like the the gender disparity um, in pay. And yeah, like, and if you break down the disparity in pay, it has to do more with like different occupations that people choose and hours worked and hours worked and. Usually it's men who... Don't ask the Australian government, though. Right. Did you see that video? No. There's a video. Uh, so there's an entire section of the Australian government that is studying the gender pay gap. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is, rather than confirm or deny the gender pay gap, they just went in saying that the gender pay gap exists. Oh, that's And so someone confronted them with the statistics that they used. And basically, instead of going on an hourly wage or the amount of time worked on a salary, sure, they, or with overtime and things like that, they annualized all of the data to create the... It, when you annualize the data based on days worked and everything, that 1.5 or 15% or whatever it is is there. Mm-hmm. But when you look at like actual hours worked to wages it doesn't exist at all right and so someone was like well it doesn't exist and they were like actually we annualized and (laughs) it does and that was all the lady would say was that well we annualized all the data it comes to this idea of of lies damn lies and statistics i think statistics obviously have a great role but like if you and i are trying to figure something out we're going to agree on our methodology Uh, yeah totally it's like I'm making a joke here, Mm -hmm. but one of my favorite things to do with funny statistics, and I say funny statistics in a way that's like you use statistics for, uh, you use them in bad faith. The suicide rates in uh, Japan are going down. Okay. They've been on the rise for some time. However, the age group that the suicide rates are going down with is an age group that had previously had the rates gone up. And the reason why they're going down is because those people already... Yes. Well, it's a, it's an old story from, I believe, World War One or World War II. I think World War Two, where the Air Force or the Air Command, whatever, uh, was assessing, okay, how do we need to armor planes in order for them to withstand you know, being fired upon? And they were saying, okay, looking at these, like we did a, a plot on a model airplane, so we need to protect the, the main f- fuselage, we need to protect the tips of the wings and the back wings and the stabilizers, and 
this one guy came along and goes, no, you're wrong. I'm like, why? It's because because you're assessing planes that made it back. <laughs> you're assessing all the planes that were shot, yes, at the tips of their wings and in the fuselage, all that, but they made it back. All the planes that were shot down, you're not accounting for it in the data. That's a good point. And so, yeah, you got to be careful how you are assessing any given subject. Just as a sidebar, uh, you ever watch a Smarter Everyday video on YouTube? Oh, love it. Uh, did the, you watch his latest one? I did not. Okay, yet. his latest one, he finally confirms that he was a military tester. Oh, uh, really? Sorry, a missile tester, a civil servant to the military. Okay. And he talks about the future of warfare. It's a 28-minute video. I'll have to check it out. He's really good. did a great interview on the Create Unknown podcast mm-hmm. where he talked to uh, Kevin Lieber and, and Matthew Tabor about he's, how his He's starting his own con. A thinker con in Huntsville. That's awesome. Um, but he's, he says he's going back to school, so he's no longer a civil servant. Hmm. But he did, like, I would say over half the video is him talking to a four-star general. Wow. Yeah. I got to check that out. it's about the future of warfare. And you know, it, the, the coolest part to me is the United States government has recognized that there are more than three fields of warfare. That is to say, air, land, and sea. That's what we've had before. Sure. There's also cyber and space. Right. And then a sixth one that's not really official, but the United States government is operating under the assumption that it is a frame of warfare, is human. And that's not to say biological, hmm. but rather the impetus of humanity. So, on, on like what Russia did with Ukraine, yeah, they captured that part of Ukraine without firing a single bullet. Right. Because they all ripped the badges off, they went in, they took that part of Ukraine. Most of you speak Russian anyway. And then when it was time, they said, okay, we're here. And nobody could do anything. Right. The human side of that would be the cyber campaigns that sort of muddied the waters a little bit. Right. That makes sense. Like, I mean, that is the greatest flaw in any military machine. Like, you imagine an army of tanks rolling into your town. The greatest flaw in that army of tanks is the human operating it. Right. And if you can change that human's mind in one way or another, you are creating all sorts of vulnerabilities. That's true. And the United States Armed Forces, I shall say, is working on integrating all five to six of those aspects of warfare. Now, I want to get back, though, to 2019. Sidebar over. Oh, no, that's cool. This is how conversation should flow. But 2019 is the year of intersectional feminism. Right. And this all started, actually, it was an Entertainment Weekly cover with Samuel L. Jackson and Brie Larson. They're both starring in Captain Marvel coming out this Friday. And the magazine goes on to say this is an odd couple to take on sexism in 2019. And this is what I mean is the the kind of the knee-jerk idea is if, oh, if this movie comes out and people don't like it. People already don't like it because of what she said yes. about a wrinkle in time. Yes. And that's, that's where I'm coming from. It's like, why are you even bringing this up? And yes, there are some comic book fans who heard that and went, well, wait, I buy all the comic. I like going to see movies, even a wrinkle in time. Why does my opinion not matter? Mm-hmm. Like, I paid for my ticket. I watched the movie. I'm going to decide whether or not it's good. I have a question for those people. Why do you value the opinion of an actor or actress? I agree with that. So if if someone tells me my opinion doesn't matter, the only way that's ever going to affect me is if I, in fact, place value in what they have to say about my own opinion. So it would be 
Like if you said my opinion didn't matter, that would cut me deep. Mm-hmm. My, my mom, my dad, that would cut me deep. But if Brie Larson tells me that my opinion doesn't matter, I'm going to say, okay, your name sounds like two cheeses. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not going to bother me. Well, I want to go back to my friend Sean Malone. He wrote a long, lengthy book of faces post about this, and he's saying they, and I think he means comic fans. Well, I'll start from further back in his rant. Comic fans are overwhelmingly not racist and misogynist. True. If anything, people who are fans of sci-fi and fantasy genre stuff have always been well ahead of the rest of society on questions of race and gender equality. Except for Star Wars. But in general, that does make sense. If you're constantly in this world of fantasy... I've never met a racist Star Trek fan. Right. I mean, the very base is so much Star Trek is like against racism. Right. And now we're so equal. And, and you learn a lot of diplomacy in Star Trek. Right. I mean, in the new the Orville, by the way. Yeah. That show keeps going strong. Really? It's not just funny. It is funny. But it's like it's taking the best of the original Star Trek series and adding that into things. Okay. Like, you get some real philosophical, ethical dilemmas in those shows, and they, they carry them out beautifully. And then to add on, you still get the Seth MacFarlane silly humor. Right. And, like, the dumb jokes, potty humor. It's great. Like, there's one where Commander Bordas, it kind of looks like a Cleon comes in. The guy that lays his own egg? Yeah. yeah. He comes in, and he's like, I, uh, I talked to the pilot so-and-so, and I think I would look better with a mustache. Could you give me a mustache? He's like, well, I guess I could encourage and invigorate the hair follicles on your upper lip if you like yes please do that and for the whole episode he's got this ridiculous Burt Riddle's mustache <laughs> on his Cleon looking face or his Mocklin face and so it's silly crap like that but along with really cool stories but yeah the point is science fiction fantasy comic books have always been about projecting a bigger and better future Yeah, it's the whole idea of a superhero is it appeals to something that's not literally real in human beings, but good parts of human beings that are projected at large. It's the idea of the hero in general. Right. That you, It's the ideals we wish we possessed in order to accomplish something great mm-hmm. in a difficult situation. So, But he goes on, Sean does, writing about comic book fans. But once again, they don't like it when their favorite characters are swapped out for more poorly written alternatives, simply because the writer has a grind, a, trying to grind a political axe. Where he's coming from is there's all sorts of, and it's his article he cites, there's all sorts of so-called diverse comic books and movie themes or cartoons or whatever that have people of color as leads, women as leads, and people buy those things. They're best-selling. What they don't like is when you take, like, Iron Man and you make Iron Man, like, a completely different person, and the whole story is very political in its tone. It's like intersectionality, feminism on the nose. Like, we'll make Iron Man a tiny Filipino girl, which is, like, cool, but are you going to create a new character out of that, or are you just going to be like, oh, look at how it's so different? Yeah. And that's their point. That, at least in the comic books, when they do that, it's because there was a death of a character or they're exploring another universe. You see that with Into the Spider-Verse, um, which I still haven't seen, but... I heard it's good. Uh, obviously, different Spider-Men or women in diff- or pigs in different universes will be different things. In a comic book setting, let's say uh, Logan dies. That's Wolverine. Who takes his place? Well, he has a son named Dakin. Uh, there's also X-23, which in some instances is Dakin. Dakin's the one that's got, he's got bone 
Okay. Uh, and he's only got two of those little claws. And he can release pheromones and stuff. Anyway, then you've got the little girl. Yeah. Who was in the Logan movie. She's now Wolverine. Okay. Uh, That's cool. Uh, unless me. they somehow brought Logan back from the dead. She's now Wolverine. They are known to bring people back from the dead. Sure. It's... That, that's besides the point. There's not like a Hollywood adaptation where all of a sudden they make a wholesale change to the identity, an established identity of a character. They don't, they don't do that in comic books. They either kill them off or explore a different universe right. in the multiverse. Well, and, and Sean goes on talking about they, comic fans, and he is one of them don't like being preached at. They don't like being told by multimillionaire actors like Brie Larson or comic book writers like Mark Wade that if they criticize a book or a movie, it's only because they're bigots. I think that's where people get upset. Is that I'm criticizing this because I, I think it, it didn't achieve the correct character arc or carry on the tradition of a given character. But you're going to reduce down my criticism because... Because I'm a white male, so I must be a bigot. That's the easy way out, in my opinion. Yeah. To, to. I mean, it goes back to values. Like, why, why are you valuing what the everyman says if the peak and pinnacle of your art is to accept criticism? Right, and that should be part of it. Well, I mean, I can understand a politician right. valuing what the everyman says, but for an artist to value what the everyman says. They're not going to be successful with their art unless they're just, I don't know, churning out things for money. Right. I mean, Banksy doesn't... He doesn't make his art for people. He makes it for himself. Right. And the people that'll get it. Well, and, and here's the thing. That people that are doing these studies are assuming that people either like, quote-unquote, diverse movies, books, or blah, 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 or they don't, as if that's the core issue for these comic book fans. And that's nonsense. People like good books. They like good movies. They like being entertained and moved and thrilled. And they don't particularly care if it's led by a woman, a man, or a space alien. What they don't like is garbage. Sean goes on. It's why Wonder Woman did well at the box office and Suicide Squad bombed. It's why Black Panther made billion, a billion dollars and Green Lantern didn't even recoup half its production budget. Everybody needs to stop making this about whether or not people like or don't like lead characters based on shallow identity politics BS, Sean says. Audiences simply do not care. When you make a good book or a good movie, people will read it and watch it. Mm -hmm. But we absolutely must stop trying to reduce this stuff to whether or not you're in some collectivist group as if that determines what you will buy or what you will relate to. That's not the world we live in, and it's not the world we want to live in. And I read Sean's critique. Now, I'm trying to come from the point of view that I'm not a hardcore comic book guy. Right. But that's generally my approach to any form of criticism. And, it, like, if I'm talking about a given politician and I don't, I don't like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her Green New Deal. No. I think it's nonsense on stilts. It's, like, it's, you've mentioned it before, on-the-nose intersectionality. Oh, yeah. That's exactly, at least the, the justice parts of that bill. Right, and then just focusing on the, the green energy aspect of it. It's like, ooh, you sure about that? I'm, sure that's the best way to provide that technology, number one? That part's heavy-handed. 
Yeah. I will say that's heavy-handed. But I've seen it on Twitter. Like, if I wrote an eloquent tweet, as much as a tweet can be eloquent, and criticized her and said, like, add Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it'd be like, oh, Joey, it's just because she won't sleep with you and she's a girl that you don't like her. It, it would be kind of like, if somebody told me that, I'd be like, what in the hell are you talking about? And I think that's a lot of, in me trying to understand this, a lot of comic book fans are like, no, Brie, if the movie's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. But it's not going to be because you're in it and a lot of other strong women in different roles are in it. The thing about comic book people, it's the same with video game people. Yeah. They are passionate. Oh, yeah. Because that's what they care about. So all of these negative reviews that were coming in before the movie came out, that's just so... Why are you reviewing a movie you haven't seen, first I of all? I agree with that completely. So that's why Rotten Tomatoes shut down their whole, like, if the movie's not out, we're not going to have the the Rotten Tomatoes with the RT score or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, certified fresh. That that part's ridiculous, and I could see how that would be frustrating from Bree's part. I do, too. But I can also sit here and say, plus, this is it's super easy for me to criticize, having not been in this situation myself. It's super easy for me to say, Bree, that was, that was dumb, what you said. One, it looks like the score that went down was, in particular, the want-to-see percentage. Oh, so, so it wasn't even... It's not even a review. It was like, how much do you want to see? How much are you anticipating this movie? And okay. I think her comments drove down that want to see. It drove down the people that... It it drove people to not want to see the movie. Yes. But it also created campaigns of ripple effects that you see in social media where you get one person to say one thing incorrectly right. and all of a sudden there's a huge fire. Well, and at the end of the day, I'm talking about this... But I'm still looking forward to the movie. Oh, yeah, I'm going to see I've it. invested way too much in Marvel movies not to go oh, yeah. see this one that's the penultimate right before Avengers Endgame. Plus, she stomps. Yeah. She's super powerful. Right. Sorry. Uh, and I like listeners, powerful women. When I, when I say stomps, that's a colloquialism in comic book and video game universe whereby someone is super strong. If it, you also hear OP, that means overpowered. But stomps, she's really strong. One of one of the great themes in Cap- the Captain Marvel comic books I haven't read, I've only read about people who've read of it, is right. this idea of like the minority report idea, like pre-crime. Mm-hmm. Should you stomp out people before they even do something? Yeah. If you have that power to foresee the future, like how much are you holding people accountable for things they have yet to do and don't know they're going to do? And that's a fascinating concept, like politically, ethically, philosophically. And I hope that's part of the movie. That's well, a cool I, idea. I wish that that would be talked about more in good faith in politics. Mm. Because a lot of bills that come out nowadays, it seems that they get politicized to the point where you're predicting what somebody's going to do. Right. And you're punishing them preemptively. Well, some of that is um, party affiliation. Some of it's being ideological. And it's something I heard uh, Jordan Peterson say. He said, if you tell me you're a libertarian, you tell me you're a, a progressive Democrat, you tell me you're a Christian, conservative, Republican, whatever, and you tell me only two or three things and I can name you the eight other positions you hold, that's not necessarily a good thing. No, it's not. Because it's not you talking. It's somebody else talking at that point. Especially when it, the, the term snowflake seems to be really popular nowadays. Where that comes from, in my mind, 
can be one of two things. It could be people that are embracing the sort of the tribalistic nature of identity politics. So they or just identity in general. Mm -hmm. So they sort of say, I'm going to be part of this group. Right. And every aspect of your personality from the outside, sometimes from the inside where you match your personality to that group, but from the outside, it's like, you're a snowflake. Mm. You know? Because you've got, let's say, the really loud intersectional feminists, or at least, I don't know, well, well, I won't besmirch intersectional feminists. We'll say TERFs. Those are the uh, non-cis women. Mm-hmm. Like trans women, or no, gay women, lesbians? Gay women that do not believe that trans men or trans women can be gay. This is, it's just, as cisgendered white males up here talk about right. this, I'm it's, baffled. It's the loud, it's the loud hairy armpit. Mm. One of, purple hair? Purple hair. Yeah. Yeah. The let me speak to your manager haircut. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I just judge that entire group of people based on the image that I have in my head. Right. And I would call them snowflakes because really that's what they seem like. But if you, if you read about what they're saying, other than a lot of the hateful things that they spew, a lot of it comes from feeling alone. Yeah, exactly. So for me, when I, I try not to react, at least immediately react. And when I hear snowflakes or I hear people talk about identities and things like that, it's part of why being called a centrist doesn't bother me anymore because that means I'm succeeding at not stereotyping my own self or at least having others perceive a stereotype about me. Right. And that's a success to a great degree. I think it is. And I, I'm trying to do that more and more. There are some things people can go to the well and go, Joey believes this. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, I got it. It's better than Joey the Libertarian. Yeah. I'll say that. I'm still, in a way, a Libertarian, but you're not, it's not, that's not my uh, Joey reason for waking up for, in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's not at all. I mean, my reason for waking up in the morning now is making money. And one way I make money is by telling you fine folks about other fine folks that can help you out. Like Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. He is your all-around real estate agent. He's changed his own life by investing in real estate. He used to work a factory job and realized, ooh, I'll save up some money, buy that property, rent it out. Did it again. Did it again. To finally somebody working on the line with him is like, hey, I thought you said you'd quit after you invested in 10 of these things. It's like, yeah, I did. So he quit. He started making money managing rental properties. And then he realized, why am I just being a manager? Why not go to a real estate school like Bo Goodson's School of Real Estate? He did. Eddie Bader did go through that school. He's now a licensed real estate agent, and he's been helping folks buy their dream homes and sell their homes with all sorts of different circumstances and changing situations. So if you're looking to buy a home, especially if you're a potential first-time home buyer, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call, 322-0662. Again, that number, 322-0662. He'll pick up the phone and be like, hey, it's Eddie. Tell him that you heard about it here on Joey's show. And he'll move right along, getting to know you, figuring out what your situation is, what's the best price you're looking for, what's the maximum, what's the minimum, and he'll show you options all around the river region. If you think you're stuck renting, you're wrong. There's a lot of options out there that in many ways can be cheaper than that rent, especially when you get that tax deduction uh, for um, having a mortgage. So give Eddie Bader a call. Not only is it good for first-time home buyers, but if you're looking to sell, he's been around the block with that too. 
I'll, here's how you do a successful repair. Here's a good renovation to do before anybody starts negotiating so you can get top dollar on the market. Here's how you perform a successful open house so it gets off the market quickly. He's done it all. So again, if you're looking for an all-around full-service real estate agent, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. 322-0662. Again, that number for Eddie Bader, 322-0662. He's a master of real estate. The Property Brothers got nothing on Eddie Bader. Nothing on him. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. Clark. Welcome back. Troy and I off air were just marveling at uh, the SpaceX docking. What was it? Crew Dragon? Yes, it's the Crew Dragon. It was unmanned this time, but it's got room for human cargo. That's unreal. Human passengers, rather. Well, I just love... People can say what they want. I love when excellence and success is achieved. Right. Like, I recognize that. In, like, I've given this example before, but, like, we'll go home and I'll be watching Forge with Fire, Forged in Fire with uh, the roommates. And when a guy's, like, blade on the strength test breaks in half, there's a party that goes, oh, no, ow, ah, not good. Like, and you don't want that to happen. You want everybody's blade to be excellent to where it's down to the most minute detail of who wins. And I think that's a lot of people, even folks who sometimes want to change the world, uh, at the end of the day, they still can recognize, okay, that person's excellent at what they do. Or this person achieved a certain status uh, out of merit. They didn't just get it for power's sake. There are certain things so grandiose as to where the excellence achieved is almost, it's emotive. It makes you emotional. Like the first time SpaceX launched that rocket and then landed it. Right, the boosters and they brought the booster rockets back down. First they brought it back down on solid land and then they landed it on a barge in the ocean. It's unreal. <laughs> How would you like to be the guy on the barge? <laughs> That's oh, I, I don't I don't think there's anybody in the, on the barge. It's a completely automated barge. Yes, it's the name hmm. of the barge is Of Course I Still Love You. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. There's something to that. Now, I was reading... Um, if only Elon could stop pissing off the SEC. <laughs> <laughs> he does have a way with words, doesn't he? Yeah. Just get off Twitter, Elon Musk. You're pissing too many people off that are that really want uh, that money that you're hoping to produce. Yeah. But I ran across, and you know, I've been reading Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, but there's one professor on Pathios who said this one part of one chapter, and what wasn't really the main thrust of the chapter, jumped out at him. And something I'm struggling with. Like, I sometimes have this almost anarchist mood of like, tear it down, tear it down, society's corrupt, and like, pull down the great statues. Ah, yeah. How would Jefferson feel about his, his own likeness built up into this huge bronze statue? Jefferson would have hated that, so pull it down. Like, I get that way sometimes. So. Right. But then I also do have this traditionalist side to me, especially the older I get, where it's like, mm, 
we should be careful about changing that all of a sudden. Because even if it doesn't make sense to you, I get there might be a reason your forefathers built that thing, that certain structure. Yeah. In many ways, that's how I view liberty now. It's like, yeah, I'll give a little bit on the issue of liberty. It's not a dogmatic position. But there's a reason, I think, that when that was made the cornerstone of American society, but it had been growing through the British tradition uh, for eons. It had been slowly developing over hundreds of years. I think there's something to that idea of freedom for the individual person in the group, working in a group, is probably the best way to order a society. It certainly isn't some watery tart hurling <laughs> scimitars. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Monty Python. See the violence inherent in the system of being oppressed. Oppressed. And actually, that comes to this quote. And it says, It's not for the best that all human corruption is uncritically laid at society's feet. That conclusion merely displaces the problem back in time. It explains nothing and solves no problems. If society is corrupt, but not the individuals within it, then where did the corruption originate? How is it propagated? It's a one-sided, deeply ideological theory. Even more problematic is the insistence logically stemming from this presumption of social corruption that all individual problems, no matter how rare, must be solved by cultural restructuring, no matter how radical. Our society faces the increasing call to deconstruct its stabilizing traditions to include smaller and smaller numbers of people who do not or will not fit into the categories upon which even our perceptions are based. This is not a good thing. Each person's private trouble cannot be solved by a social revolution because revolutions are destabilizing and dangerous. We have learned to live together and organize our complex society slowly and incrementally over vast stretches of time, and we do not understand with sufficient exactitude why what we are doing works, thus altering our ways of social being carelessly in the name of some ideological shibboleth, diversity springs to mind, is likely to produce far more trouble than good, given the suffering that even small revolutions generally produce. Was it really a good thing, for example, to so dramatically liberalize divorce laws in the 1960s? And he says, yeah, on the face of it, yeah, sure, I get why they changed those divorce laws. But it's not clear to me that the children whose lives were destabilized by the hypothetical freedom this attempt at liberation introduced would say so. Horror and terror lurk behind the walls provided so wisely by our ancestors. We tear them down at our peril. We skate unconsciously on thin ice with deep cold waters below or unimaginable monsters lurk. Now, this guy who quoted Peterson there said, it reminded him of a uh, G.K. Chesterton quote, which is much shorter, saying, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. It's a good, steady way. And I have this conflict with myself all the time. Like, what is... Because I'm usually... I, I think temperamentally, I'm pretty bent towards being pretty open and liberal, so to speak. Like, I like ideas that challenge me. I like new things. But at a certain point, how much, number one, if I, if I want to question things, should I just share that? I have a radio show. Every question that comes to my mind, should it be shared with thousands of people? Probably not. It's, number one, irresponsible for the group, and it's irresponsible for me to do it, especially if I haven't really figured out that question yeah. to a sufficient manner. That makes sense. And, and I see what he's saying here is that, okay, 
so-and-so hasn't fit into society in a particular way, uh, so let's go changing all f- society in order to fix it for them. Like, the idea of, of transgender persons comes up. In my mind, I don't have any problem. Like, there's somebody we knew in high school, went to high school with us in ninth grade, that is now named Evelyn. Really? Yeah. Well, it was originally named Chris. Used to pal around with me in ninth grade for a little bit. Oh. And I came across this on Instagram that this person is now huh. Evelyn. And I have to say, as far as the idea of transgender goes, passing, look like a woman. Cool. And that was my reaction. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Good for her. I have no problem calling her her. I wouldn't, I mean, maybe if. I don't think she'll have a problem with athletic competition standards. I just don't think that's going to be an issue. But it's it's more like, okay, I can personally know somebody who's transgender and go, cool, doesn't bother me at all. If that's what you want to do with your life, you're free to do that with your life. But then you get to the issue of, okay, I was a man until a few years ago. Now I'm going to do a little bit of hormone therapy, and now I want to compete in women's weightlifting. Just, just to be clear, this person evelyn is not competing no right so you're talking about something else right well it's one thing for people to show personal deference and respect for people on their own life's journey but when that person's life journey butts up against other people's journeys to where we're now changing say the standards of an athletic competition okay is that right and i but what if what if the people who just are against the idea that someone could be transgendered where if they come up and say, well, this person is butting up into my life. In a way, I see the argument, but like, I would be like, what? how? I would ask, how exactly is that person doing that? And when it come, when it just boils down to them yelling, well, I just don't like them. And they just, right. they, go to, a problem. they go to, I'm shouting louder than you, therefore well, I'm right. I'll take a more specific example. For instance, my uncle is a Catholic priest. Yeah. He officiates weddings all the time. He'll go through a long period of wedding or marriage counseling beforehand. He actually will require people who are currently living together. You can't live together in these few months we're doing this before I marry you. It's my rule if you want me to marry you. So I got talking about the new Obergefell, the gay marriage ruling. Mm -hmm. And he actually said, well, that's the political law. That's the law. But what he worries about is, say, a gay couple came to his church in Auburn and said, we want you to marry us. And he would say, no. Like, not, I don't like you, you're in sin. Well, he can't. Right. It Literally, he can't, based on the church he has devoted his life to and their rules. I will say this. The Catholic Church needs to have Vatican III, and they need to have it 12 years ago. I agree with that. But here's the thing. Should he then be forced by law to marry those people, or should he... But this, lose his uh, ability to officiate state-sanctioned weddings. Well, and that's that's the issue, right? If if the if it's not a Catholic-sanctioned wedding, then don't have it in the church, right? But that's still, but that's where he people, could still do it. He could still do it, but he he chooses not to because he wants to. He's doing Catholic weddings. Then go somewhere else. Exactly. But I think sometimes people will take the idea of tolerance and diversity too far to where oh now. It's not that I want to be accepted and have a space for freedom to live my life as I please. I want you to also accept it. And if you don't, I'm going to force you to accept it. Okay. Well, what about that Kim lady that refused to sign marriage licenses? In Kentucky. Right. 
Um, I will. I'm going on record. She was saying an agent. That, that is a horrible thing to do, and yes, that was a misuse of her position as a state. Yeah, if you are an agent of the state, and your state law clearly says shall issue marriage law in Alabama, some district court judges, uh, not district court, some probate judges got around it, and this was when Roy Moore was... Classic Roy Moore. Uh, Supreme Court justice. Is Alabama doesn't say that. Right. Alabama does ha- not have a shall issue Davis statute. Kim Davis. It says they may issue. Right. So they just stopped issuing all marriage licenses in certain parts of the state. So it wasn't even discriminatory. It was discriminatory if you were to look under the hood, but it's like, okay, nobody gets a marriage license in well, if I'm going to be forced does, to do it. Does a marriage license legally change the way death works in terms of like yes i think it does if you're legally married to somebody you would have i think legal rights to their stuff for instance okay so you would have better visitation rights for instance as they're dying to deny gay couples the ability right to do that is wrong i agree and for her to use religion and to say that God would not want her to do those things when she, is wrong. When she easily could have had one of her clerks do it, too. And the law is compelling her to do this. Yeah. So she can, if she personally just can't abide it, let somebody else do it. Quit. Yeah, exactly. So there are, it's always this middle ground, though, between when are you butting up against other people? And we have different rules for state entities than we do sure. for private organizations, yeah. of course. But it's more this more abstract idea of when is it good to tear down that fence? And I think the best time to tear down a fence is when you know why it was put there in the first place and you know it intimately. Well, I think what you and I can both agree with is that we don't want the government dictating to us what fences we can and can't have. Yes. That being said, the most mean, you could look at sort of the rave culture, which started as a counterculture in the UK. I mean, it just to be topical, the lead singer of The Prodigy, he killed himself. Yeah. Now, so many people who felt like they were outcasts in whatever group of society they were in, whether it was the suburbs, the hood, the city, the country, so many people that didn't feel like they felt it, they, they, they didn't feel, you know, accepted, all of a sudden heard The Prodigy and they were accepted into... You know, the rave culture, which is really weird, and there's a lot of drugs, and it's... But they belong to something. They felt like they belonged. What's wrong with tearing that fence down? To feel accepted. Right. I I agree. And I think there's all sorts of unique ways we could tear down fences. It's just uh, there are certain fences that you don't touch. Well, I bristle when the government tells me what I can and can't do. Exactly. Well, on that we agree, and on that we're out of time.